This is the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where it's all about getting the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. Brought to you by Itumar Shafir, founder and CEO of Umbrella, the technology platform and brand that is powering thousands of marketing agencies around the country. Find him at UmbrellaUS.com. Now, here's your host, Kevin Pruitt. Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we speak to successful marketing experts about ways to build and grow their marketing agencies. Our guest today is a marketing professional finance and music nerd, self-professed, I might add. He spent the last 10 plus years in various marketing roles for B2B and SaaS organizations. Additionally, he builds and scales content websites on the side and is a marketing advisor for an up-and-coming SaaS companies. Currently, you'll find him as the marketing team lead at Everyone Social, an employee influencer platform designed to help companies enable their employees to share and create content on social media. He is also the founder, we're going to get into this, he's also the founder of Remote Work Junkie, where they share insights about the basics of remote work, tips for getting hired, strategies for managing and building remote teams, applying for and listing remote jobs, and much more. Previously, the founder of Invested Wallet, which was acquired in 2021. Great story behind that as well. A B2B and SaaS marketing advisor and website creator. Join me in welcoming to the podcast, Todd Koonsman. Todd, thanks for joining us on Marketing Umbrella. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Appreciate that. And that was that was an impressive uh, intro. I didn't even realize I had as much as there is there, but that's <laughs> awesome. I appreciate that. Well, part of my job is to do a little research. So, I mean, what you had sent me uh, initially, I, I needed to augment a little bit. And so I went out and found that. I said, there's a lot more to, to behind <laughs> Mr. Koonsman here than, than what he sent me. So uh, I wanted to, our audience to have a full picture. But is there anything that we left out kind of laying the foundation of who Todd Koonsman is? No, I, I think you, you got it all there. It's great. Well, I I'd love the journey. I mean, it is it is a kind of a serendipitous journey that you've taken, you know, primarily in a in a kind of a related related pathway. But walk us back a few years and and just kind of you know the early days of Todd Koonsman. Say this is this is kind of what I did. You know, hey, got out of high school. You know, if college was involved, but wasn't involved, but just this is how I kind of fell into this space. Yeah, I think it's funny. A lot of people in, in digital marketing today, especially kind of just fall into the job role. <laughs> I mean, now there's there's more specialty schools, right, or courses with I know, like some of the bigger schools are starting to offer that the kind of more modern approach to marketing today. Um, but, you know, 2010, that didn't really exist when I graduated. So yeah. I actually went to college for computer science, uh, more of the digital art track. So graphic mm -hmm. design, 3D animation. Uh, and then I picked up a minor in communications because I really really like journalism and writing. And I just felt like writing and speaking was probably going to be good for me to know how to do sure. really well. Yeah, regardless uh, of what you did. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, marketing, of course, there's writing involved in everything, copywriting, how you persuade people. So a lot of that really kind of tied together. Little did I know at the time that that's where I was kind of headed. Um, but yeah, once I graduated, I just looked for a job pretty quickly. I applied to company called Rodale. They actually don't exist anymore. They were purchased by, I believe, Hearst, a big publication company, but mm -hmm. they had like men's health, women's health, all these kind of big magazines that still exist today. Um, I applied for a, something else and they were just like, hey, we have this email marketing role. Like we're looking for junior level people right out of college who are just hungry to learn. And I was like, sure, that sounds interesting. Why not? Like not the most expensive or most, you know, well-paid job, but I was like, I need something out of college sure. right away to start paying my student loans back. Um, so that was the first kind of stint into marketing was this kind of email kind of role where I got to learn about kind of workflows and 
you know, copywriting and, and sending things to millions of people because there's a lot of subscribers to these. So it's kind of cool as a 22 year old kind of coming out with fresh eyed looking to change the world mm. kind of view on things, right? Uh, Might have been a little bit of a naive approach, but uh, that was kind of cool and, and got involved in there. And then I also did like a music blog on the side. I, I've always been kind of this, again, self-proclaimed music nerd where I wanted to even potentially work in the industry. Um, I thought that was a way to kind of maybe get some notoriety or just start sure. to kind of learn some things. And that's where like SEO and search engine marketing and paid ads and social media really came into play. And uh, I started to learn just on my own, just kind of things like that. And even Google analytics and just mm. kind of understanding how all this stuff ties together. And then that led to a lot of like freelance consulting roles and marketing where I started to kind of build this resume up, uh, which I thought was really really good for me. And then I started to realize like, Hey, marketing is still creative where I kind of went to school for design. I wasn't, I didn't think I was talented enough to really make it in the graphic animation world. And I kind of found it a little bit tedious on my side. So there's still a lot of the creativity, but then I could use the data analytical side of my brain too, which I thought was really fun. So kind of had this aha moment that like marketing is kind of the way for me to go. And, and that's kind of where I ended up over the last you know 10 years. So it would, it's interesting as you were talking, telling your story, you know, it's okay, I'll take this kind of email marketing role, you know, I'm, I need a job, we'll start it out. Imagine what would have happened if, if you weren't successful at the job. I mean, there would have been a pivot, you would have had to do something else. But I wonder how many people have like stepped into roles like that and said, you know, I'm going to try it. And then what, one out of 10 are successful, one out of 50. I mean, what's the, what are the odds that you know, that would be kind of like your life call, you know, or at least headed in that direction, you know, from that, that one, you know, kind of unique opportunity that you got. So I, I'm curious, how, I mean, how many people do you think would have taken that like even percentage wise and, and made a good, made it a go, you know, of it? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like it depends on the person too, right? Like, you know, if I was really gung ho on design, I mean, I always liked drawing and stuff, but I was like, you know, even throughout college, I was like, is this the right move for me? But regardless, mm. I have a computer science degree. I, I got to learn coding and HTML and CSS and some other things about building computers. So I kind of got a lay of the land. But I think when I kind of fell in communications, I started to, I think there's these aha moments I didn't realize I was having, right? Like with the writing and stuff, I was always good at that didn't love it in high school because who likes writing research papers but uh, <laughs> I was always good at it and then it seems like that started to transition in there so you know for me I think it was easier to kind of jump right in because I already kind of had this uh, thing in the back of my mind that was telling me this is the right thing to do and for a lot of others it's not as easy I mean I've I've seen others who have done that too I've, I know a few friends that went to school for a completely different thing and sure. they're, they're doing something completely opposite too. And I, I think it happens more often than we realize, unless there's just like this giant calling, like, I know I want to be a doctor, so I'm yep. going to keep down that path. <clears throat> or I know I want to be, you know, a book author or something like that. You know, that person's going to stay that path. But for those that are like, this is what I think I want to do. But then it seems after that they're in a completely different, you know, space. I mean, you know, you're talking millennials or Gen Z. I mean, it's like, you know, you'll have an average of 12 jobs in your life or something yeah. like that. I mean, this whole idea of retiring after 50 years with a gold watch. I mean, it's, it, it's non-existing, you know, right now, but uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about everyone's social and um, what is it like explain kind of the, the foundation of the company, the service provided. Um, and then, then we can just follow up with that. Yeah. So the company is now going on, I think 11 years. Uh, when I joined, it was about four or five years deep uh, into it. So there's the concept of, Employee advocacy is the, the main term that people know, but we call it as kind of turning employees into influencers, anyone that has a network, which pretty much everybody does today. 
uh, is connected to you know coworkers, people at other companies, friends, family. Um, and the idea of it behind this was a software that basically helps employees create and share content to their networks to help drive attention to not only the brand, but their own personal brand, right? So, you know, a lot of people use it for recruiting or hiring. Some of the best people that you hire are people you know or in your mm -hmm. networks. Um, so that helps that. Uh, marketing and sales, of course, because if you're talking about the brand, you're talking about the industry, whatever niche that you're in, right, starts drawing awareness and attention. And I think the the best way to think about it is, too, is, you know, we, we've seen an average employee has anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200 social networks. You have 50 people, you know, sharing, creating content on a consistent mm. basis. You've now extrapolated that reach by 500,000. You have networks that are continually growing, and you have this compound effect, right? So there's this network effect that, and you've probably seen it too on LinkedIn, where like, I'm not connected to that person, but someone in my network liked yep. their post. So now yep. I'm seeing the feed. So now you have this exponential growth. And as social media has become a huge thing, especially LinkedIn, you're reaching so many more people about the brand. And I've, I've even seen brands just, you know, the large brands who are doing this kind of the early adopters, but even those who are smaller now, um, they're building their business off of employees and leadership, actually posting and creating content consistently. So that's where everyone social came in. And uh, this was in 2010, where the CEO and co-founder uh, Cameron Brain and his co-founder had this idea of like, well, you know, why aren't we doing this? And of course, back then, everyone's like, why would we let employees post on social media? That's exactly. a no-no. Like, they could be detrimental to the brand and mm -hmm. all this kind of we stuff. We wanted to so, clean up their social media. <laughs> That's right. right, exactly. So it was, you know, I think in the beginning, it was kind of this slog of like, well, how are we going to convince people to do that? And fortunately, there was some companies in the beginning, like Fortune 500 companies that they were connected with that were like, you know, let's give this a shot. Let's mm -hmm. see like what this can do. And yep. these innovative companies are still crushing it today mm -hmm. because of that. And I think um, now we see, you know, all these brands are starting to shift positions. We're like, oh, well, this is important. We do see why this matters. And that's kind of where, the software came in is to put some guardrails in place, you know, mm -hmm. to ensure that nothing does happen, but then you can see all your data, everything in one location, basically a place to rally everybody together in one spot. And that's right. kind of where it's been. And now there's probably about 10 competitors in the space mm -hmm. all kind of have similar features, a little bit different. Um, but we were one of the first ones really out there in that space. So big synopsis, but that's kind of what everyone's social is about. So, I mean, I mean, it's, uh, as you explained it, I mean, it's like the, the light bulb came on and said, well, of course, you know, why not do this? I yeah. mean, it's like, what well, duh, you know, moments, <laughs> but I can think of 50 reasons why I would be hesitant, you know, as well. So let's, let's talk about some of those uh, issues that I know you guys have navigated, you know, over the years. I mean, I can, I can think of everything from, you know, you, you're not on brand with the stuff you're sharing to, you know, I, you you shared something about you were at a drunk party Friday night. And now now Saturday morning, you're talking about, you know, birthday cards from Hallmark and, mm -hmm. you know, that and that's conflated because it's the same social channel that you're sharing both of those things on. And I know those are just two quick ones that come to mind. So mm -hmm. what are some other or, or, you know, address those, but maybe some yeah. other issues as well that you think, you know, people have had or had to had to wrestle with? Yeah, so funny enough, and we, we always get that question too from some that are hesitant just because it is, you know, especially brands that are in like the financial space, right? Or some that has a lot of regulations or compliance. Mm -hmm. you know, and I medical, think agency owners would love to hear that too, because yeah. if they're going, hey, this, we, you know, can we incorporate this in our, 
offerings and we're going, you know, wait a minute, we're a little hesitant here because there's yeah, what are the guardrails? Yeah. So exactly. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. So yeah, with us, we've never actually had an issue uh, in the 10 plus years where there was something that caused a massive problem for a brand. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a couple of reasons. One, because it is a location where all employees have their accounts connected. So like we don't dive into their data privacy. They basically are logging in through LinkedIn and we have that on there. But because you're visible on there, people don't want to post things that are going to hurt themselves, get oh, yeah. themselves fired. Yeah, that makes sense. So there's kind of that like, check the box kind of which is why we have this program right because instead of manually saying okay everyone start posting things that's kind of where it can go off the rails here you're kind of all in this one platform you can have admins who are kind of controlling hey you can still create content but here's the guidelines you have like mm. the social policy yeah. being in there sure. you know anyone can see it when it's added to the platform they can see that that employee created that post right so if you're posting something in there you're going to lose your job mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that's that's yeah. wrong right um, you know, most of it is very business professional. So we've, we've come to that conclusion that because this is a central rallying point where everyone can kind of see each other as a community base, like people don't want to do things that are wrong. Now there could be a situation, right. Where it's like, oh, we posted something too early that we were making a product announcement and that can right. happen, but it's easy to quickly delete. And that's where the social media training comes into, right. We've always mm -hmm. kind of said, you know, as a company, you can't just put a software in place and you can't force people to get involved in this either. They have to want to get involved. So mm -hmm. a lot of it is educating of like, what's in it for you as an employee, if you get involved, um, not all just being branded content, right? Like the whole program, of course, you want to do things that are company related, but, uh, it should be about like, what is the person interested in? What are they doing? Uh, what kind of content can they create? Like for me, I post about remote work because I'm in a remote work first company, right. how my setup is. I also have a side project that's related to that. Mm -hmm. But then I'm talking about marketing. I'm not always talking about employees on social. I'm talking about general yeah. marketing things, but people still discover who I am. They still trust that I'm associated with everyone's social. Mm -hmm. They still find me. They might start looking into everyone's social and, and in the business. So we teach people that too, is like, you know, what's in it for them, put these guardrails in place, have some training and saying like, here's what you should and shouldn't do, because there's still people who don't understand social media, even after these decades of oh, basically sure. yeah. having issues, right, is that people are still learning and trying to figure out how to do these programs. And that's what makes it a lot easier, I think, for us. And then a lot of times it comes down to the other hesitations is like, oh, well, this is something else we have to pay for. And we do this kind of example where we're like, well, we have this earned media value in there, right? And it kind of shows you like, well, this is what it would cost you in paid advertising to have the same or almost the same effect. Um, obviously, if it's coming from someone you know, the impressions, the data, the engagements are probably still better than paid advertising. Um, but for us, we've seen anywhere from one-fifth to one-tenth the cost per user on everyone's social compared to paid advertising. Now, mm -hmm. like ads aren't going away. And actually we see these two kind of complementing each other yeah. nicely because it improves, it can improve your clicks of the ad campaign, right? If you're seeing, wow, I've seen that brand and I've seen this content from people in my network, I should check out the ad. So it can lead to a lot of other things. It can improve your remarketing list because now mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm going to your website and checking out content. Now I'm getting on remarketing. Your ad is more effective. So like there's, there's that happening too. Um, but we like to show you this data and kind of say, well, this is what it would cost you. You have you want to spend $1.5 million, hopefully reaching these same folks through an ad that people scroll past all the time. Or do you want to spend $100,000 a year to have a thousand employees constantly posting, sharing, creating content, generating that value plus more? Right. Uh, the light bulbs start to kind of, you know, oh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting thought or I haven't mm -hmm. thought about that way. And it might seem obvious to us as marketers, but even marketing folks sometimes don't think about it because this isn't like a traditional 
thing that everybody is doing yet. It's kind of just getting to that point where now everyone's like, this is like a must have thing we need to do. And obviously people listening to this podcast, there'll be some that are going to get it immediately and say, hey, I'm all yeah. in, let's do this. And there'll be others going, ah, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think this is, this is going to work, but it's, it's a little bit, I mean, there, there's some, there's some, uh, you know, certain similarity to the fact that you have external influencers that, I mean, you're not controlling everything they do on their, on their feed. You're, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just, you just, these are internal instead of external you know, the whole idea behind that, but it's, it is interesting. The, uh, is it an app-based application or is it like I'm feet, you know, I, I'm just posting stuff on my own channel, social channels, and I'm tagging, you know, the, the company or whatever the brand, what's the, what's the, the kind of, I don't, you don't want to use the word API, but what's kind of the, the connection point between the, the, how does it function? Yeah, so it's built pretty much like a social feed, right? So like how you see kind of how Facebook or LinkedIn has your timeline, everything like that. So this is an area basically kind of think of it as almost like an intranet for all of your content as a company. So me as a user, I can log into everyone's social and be like, oh, there's some important content that I should share. I can schedule that out. My LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook is already connected. I can pick what schedule Mm. I can select. I can even select predetermined copy. Although we always suggest for companies that, hey, let them edit, let them put their own voice so it looks more authentic because the last thing you want is a thousand people saying the exact same thing yeah, at the same yeah. time, I just which is the, where- The PR, the press release. <laughs> yes, and that happens a lot. And a lot of people who are new to this think that's the way to do the program. And we kind of halt it there. And we're like, well, no, I mean, we have these guidelines in place where you can put variations of copy because some people don't know how to write necessarily mm-hmm. as well or can't think of something unique to say, yeah. which is fine. And you could have that, but we always encourage people to- edit that and let that be editable so people can add their voice. Um, you know, again, you don't want the same constantly spamming links of the same thing. And those networks are going to get tired of that content too. We know right. the algorithms don't love third-party links all the time either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll bury that. So, you know, this allows you to kind of do a mix of things. So what's cool is like, we can have, you know, videos, native videos being shared, images, GIFs, text-based or links. So now you're mixing up the whole content, but yeah, basically you come in, it looks like a social feed. So it's very familiar to you already. Um, you have those integrations with your social channels, but then there's other things like email. So like if, you know, we don't expect everybody to use the platform, right? Like everyone's got a million software to log in already. Yeah. Um, so we've built these kind of integrations to make it easier. So we do have an API. So that was a good call with the API so that we can connect with things that you have in your company. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Slack and Teams integrations. Of course, if you're always living in Slack, you can get these notifications and you can share it directly from that. Yeah. Um, we have a built-in application for Salesforce. So like sales teams can easily, we know sales is probably always focused on either their CRM or something similar. Um, this allows them to stay in that and use the exact functionality of the whole platform. Mobile apps. So like, you know, one of our uh, customers is a big telecommunications company. Um, for cell phone providers, but they have a lot of their frontline workers who are part of this really exclusive kind of club and excitement. And they use the app on their phone to post pictures with customers, new deals, things Mm -hmm. like that, that they can share on social media and generates excitement in that way. So uh, there's a lot of different functionality to it, but it it operates exactly like a platform you're already familiar with to make it a lot easier for anybody to just jump in and start using the product. So uh, as as you're kind of describing the product, uh, the question that comes to mind, I mean, is, are these just automatically live or is it as, can you schedule them or, you know, can you have, you know, as you're starting, I guess, starting with the, with the product or the platform, can you have an admin that's reviewing all the stuff before it goes live? You know, just a, give me a, 
give me a 15 minute head start. You know, this says when you hit, hit send, you know, or, or hit post that there's 15 minutes that somebody has a chance to review it before it goes live, or is that built into the platform as well? Yeah, absolutely. And it depends on, again, what the admin, what the company wants to do. Some are more relaxed on kind of how that is. Like some might say, Hey, if you were in, in everyone's social, if you were invited to use it, we trust that the content you're creating is great and we'll automatically approve it for anyone to share for yourself mm -hmm. to share. Others would be like, well, it's a bunch of company content. We want to make sure if you're suggesting any content that it's on brand or yeah. that we think it's worth sharing. And that can go through a content moderation process. So you can have as many admins. Uh, there's moderators too, which is kind of like not as high level as an admin, but if you want to be a moderator, we also have um, our own kind of managed services where, hey, if you don't have time to do this, because we know this is like another kind of step um, you know, in either the marketing team or social media or whoever might be managing based on what their use case is. Uh, we have a team that actually can manage it for you. They learn your business, learn what hmm. you see as appropriate or not, and they kind of handle it for you to do the best practices and get the most out of your your product and value right. that you're paying for. So yeah, there's definitely ways to you know safeguard content and, and put things in place ahead of time. So when people do get invited and come in, they already have a plethora of options. Um, and there's also, you know, if you're on specific teams, like we kind of separate things by group. So if I'm in sales, I might not care like what HR is doing mm -hmm. other than maybe like the general company information stuff. So I cannot be, I might not be invited to that group and won't see that content in my feed. I'll see the relevant sales and marketing and maybe revenue content or things that are related to from the CEO or things mm -hmm. like that. So it, it's, it's very customable to anybody's kind of tailored timeline, which makes it a lot easier because there is a lot of noise. There is a lot of content. Yeah. And I want to see the things that are most relevant to me. Right. Right. That makes sense. And I, I think I misheard you a minute ago. I, I thought you had said like intranet, like it's internal communications, but this sounds like very much an external communication platform. Yeah. And it, it actually has a little bit of the intranet to it too. So like we can embed the product in your intranet, right? So if you have an intranet already mm -hmm. that you're used to, you can use the API to kind of push things through that, but we actually can treat it as an intranet as well, because we do have those internal communications, right? We use it for internal announcements only where we don't want things shared yeah. push notifications that like the sense. email aspect uh there's a chat function out like a live chat where you can actually like tag a certain employee or a coworker. Mm -hmm. um there's like a community aspect where you can see kind of all the employees who are in everyone's social and follow each other so we have people who use it for internal comms not as much it's it's definitely an added component but yes to your point mm -hmm. we're very more of the external side of things right. but we have those capabilities to kind of handle it all is there, is there, have you seen, or I guess, has it been your experience? Is there, is there a lot of peer pressure when, when everyone's social kind of comes on board in a company? Like, is, is it, is there peer pressure internally for everyone to kind of, you know, come on board and, and, you know, use your own individual social platforms to kind of promote the, the community, you know, need here or the brand? I think it depends on the company. So, you know, we always don't recommend to just like try to force people into it because mm -hmm. not everybody wants to be social, regardless if they see the value or not. Right. Uh, right. We encourage, obviously, the more that are doing this, the, obviously the bigger reach and the better results. Uh, but at the same time, the culture has to be in a good spot too. Like we know some people have not the greatest cultures at their company and they think this is going to solve problems and that people yeah. are just going to share and do things for them. Like, well, why would they go out of their way to help you? Even if it does help them, they're just they're not going to adopt it basically. Mm -hmm. So kind of having to go into this, that like your leadership has to understand the value. They have to be kind of this social kind of 
culture where they understand that, look, social media isn't going away. We want to embrace it. We want you to be your authentic self and, you know, get results for yourself as a professional, but also you're helping our company in the same time. Those companies that get that have the best results right off the bat. Mm, Others need a little bit more handholding and training because they're just thinking very company centric. Um, which is okay. Like this is, but this is a 50, 50 split thing where we Mm -hmm. see that there's, there's value for both sides. So there's definitely companies that um, try to enable that. And I think they know the ones that are the best, they know they can't force it. They'll just say like, this is why we're doing it. Here's why we want you to be involved with it. We hope you participate and then find ways to kind of help get them involved or give them that training or incentive to be a part of it. Those Mm -hmm. are the companies that seem to have most success. And I think these companies are still learning how they can really adopt to really expand kind of company wide, but a lot of them start a little bit smaller just because they know it is kind of a hurdle to kind of get started, especially when it's brand new to the company. Is, is this an easier sell for you guys? If it's a kind of a really cool brand or if it's something that you would, as a, as an employee, you would love to share anyway. Like I love to share that I work at Apple or I love to share that I work at Nike, or I love to share that I work Mm -hmm. at Jack Leak's jerky. You know (laughs) what is, is that, does that, have, does that come into play at all? I'm sure it does a bit, but I also think uh, for us, what we've noticed is the companies that uh, are really thinking about the future are innovative. So ones that tend to have raised VC money, right? Mm. Not that's always an indicator, but those right. that are coming in off the backs of some some good money, they know they need to grow. They need to reach the right talent. They need to do things that are different than just the traditional kind of marketing or sales aspect. Those kind of thing out of the box, they're the ones that really gravitate towards it right away because they're already thinking about this stuff ahead of time and trying to prove the money that they receive that they can grow and do something with their business. So they're looking for that competitive edge mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of their competitors might not be thinking about. So there's that aspect. And then I think to the point that you brought up too is, yeah, if you're working for a brand that already has a great culture, exciting things going on, you know, the Googles, the Apples, mm-hmm. uh, the Metas, you know, those kinds of things those employees tend to be a lot more excited about getting involved in those programs. But even the, even some of the stricter ones, like we have a couple of financial companies that are well-known in the space and some of them have really started to understand the value from a digital perspective where they're Mm -hmm. like, look, we're going to get left behind. Like they already have been trailing behind for other marketing things. They're starting to move towards this kind of modern approach, especially with like web three taking over, right. Bitcoin, all this other stuff that like, they know that there's these cool, modern things going on in their own industry that they'll get left behind so a lot of them are starting to open the doors to be okay these are things we need to start thinking about so i think it's happening more it's just there is still some hesitation i think but to your point yes i think some of the the brands that have that cool kind of background definitely can gravitate towards this a bit easier have you seen any like unique back-end adjustments that like companies have made like uh have they had like special incentive programs or little rev share deals or something like that to get employees and, you know, excited about the potential to, to share content? Like, you know, Hey, if we see an increase in sales, we'll throw a party, you know, or we'll that type of thing, you know, to kind of get this ball rolling. Yeah, that definitely happens. A telecommunications company, they uh, have like a special like exclusive club that you're a part of when you get invited to it. Mm. So they choose, they have thousands and thousands of employees that are in it, but they chose them based on just like work and how they're already social and kind of how they interact. And they get this kind of cool invite package. Uh, and then they have them 
invited to everyone's social, but this has really generated a lot of buzz internally where people get excited oh, yeah. to be part of the and team. And FOMO too. I mean, exactly. <laughs> yes. And it's a great company. Their CEO was super social before. Um, so like they already had this kind of social environment where, mm -hmm. you know, that was the culture embedded to that. And it was just like a fun brand. So they already have that going, but then they're getting these invites, not only to the program, but they're getting either like a plaque, some kind of prize, you know, mm -hmm. exclusive lunch with like some leadership member, things like that. So they're kind of gamifying a little bit of their yeah. program too, which is why we have a leaderboard kind of built into if people want to use those points, you know, to accrue certain things or do something fun internally, but not all of them do. I think, again, it comes down to how quickly they want to build the program or, or you know, create buzz around what they're doing. Others just rely on the fact that like they have a great culture and they just want people to share what they think and and put themselves out there. And a lot of times that works without any incentives too. Right, and right. there's not really a right or wrong approach to it. Yeah. Um, it's just that I think the companies that make the mistake are when they don't have a great culture, they know they're going to have trouble doing that. And they're just mm -hmm. basically trying to throw like a hundred bucks at you and hope that you'll post Absolutely. a whole bunch of spam yeah. links. So like, which can happen on the wall, see what works. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we, again, we're one of those companies cause we, we hear all this stuff, right? Like mm -hmm. we've, I've seen a couple marketers who associate what we do with spamming. And I'm, I had a post a while ago about, you know, where did this connotation come from? Like, where did this idea come from? Because mm -hmm. we're not putting it out there, but I think because there's other programs that have things where it's like, we automate everything you know, that's the challenge is like, well, those are the ones doing the disservice to what this whole yeah. approach is about. Yeah. You know, we have functionality to do things, but we want to make sure that it's as authentic as possible right. because that's where the real results come from. Uh, yeah. Guys, these aren't bots. These are, these are our employees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're sharing. So I've got, I've got two quick questions for you before we kind of transition to, into our speed round here, as I always get sure. excited in the speed round. But the first one is like, speak directly to like, if I'm a marketing agency owner, how could I, you know, best utilize this, this opportunity or how could I incorporate it into kind of my own offerings or portfolio of services or whatever? Yeah. So we have a couple of different offerings there. So we have a partnership team where we actually do work with some agencies where they basically are referring companies to us. They might not be the ones managing the program, but they're looking to, they basically suggest like, Hey, this is what you need to be doing on social media. Here is the company you should check out being everyone social. So there's incentivization there where we're basically offering a percentage of whatever the deal is, which is great because we have deals anywhere ranging from 10 to a hundred thousand plus, you know, pending the company size, the amount of users. So that's been really cool. Uh, and you know, we work with agencies that are working with really great brands who are perfect fit for this. Mm -hmm. And then we have the other side where there's agencies who want to use this for their clients, uh, basically creating an instance where they can set up and kind of manage it for them. So basically like while we have the managed services for brands, it's almost like the marketing agency is acting as the, the managed service themselves to work with brands that they're working with. We haven't had that come up too much yet, but I think we've seen more agencies start to explore that just because this is coming up more, you know, as the brands they're working with saying, hey, what about employee advocacy or how do we get our employee sharing? And then they kind of start doing some research on their own. So those have been the two ways we've seen. I think the first way is the one we've we've really seen more been working well with. We've we've gotten some really good partnerships through that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're always open to more. So of course, if there's marketing agencies out there looking for this kind of, uh, product or service or incentivization, we're always open to having that conversation. I, I, yeah, I, I knew that that there was going to be a strong connection somewhere. And it's interesting the way you guys have kind of thought through this and, and mm -hmm. you know, the kind of have two pronged approach. But um, I, I told you earlier in the podcast, I wanted to uh, kind of touch base on this whole remote remote work junkie uh, idea, this kind of side gig you've got going on. So just speak to that for just a minute. 
Yeah, so I basically just created a hub for all things remote work, um, very focused on content around for job seekers, those who are either new or advanced. So kind of a mix of the remote work 101 kind of content, if you're like brand new to it, to job tips to finding that job, right, or to bettering your productivity and efficiency, all that kind of stuff. And then from the employer side, it's just about growing remote teams and how to best hire finding remote jobs, posting remote jobs, kind of everything. And basically what I saw was a lot of the remote work content that was out there is either from the big publications, you know, like the mm-hmm. Forbes and yeah. which is totally great. Uh, and a lot of them was also just job boards, very job specific focus, which we have that key component, but I wanted to focus on the content mostly. Mm-hmm. And then the job boards kind of being secondary where it's flipped for most of them. It's the job boards and then some of the content is secondary. So uh, really wanted to focus on on that being that hub where not only can I educate and help people just because I've been full-time remote for five plus years, you know, prior to the pandemic. Uh, I know it was a lot of, through a lot of new things to people who had no familiarity with yeah, it or, sure. or knew what to do or found that they couldn't handle being at home as much and just trying to figure out what to do. Um, but even after that, I, I knew that was a topic that if something was interested in wanted to, to write more about um, and it's also a great way for me to network to work as either a marketing advisor for some companies and or you know make extra money it's kind of a win-win right you, you educate right. people and help others but also can turn it into kind of like a side business yeah i i love that and, and uh, i want to make sure that both of those uh you know that everyone social and and the remote work junkie are listed in the in the show notes so people can can follow up on that but as we transition into uh, kind of a fun part of the of the podcast, not that the rest of it wasn't, but this is uh, the rapid fire question. You're going to go, what in the world is he asking <laughs> these crazy questions for? But so I just want you to answer just what what comes to mind, just just quick, rapid fire, really short, concise answers. So did you get along with your parents growing up? Yes, I have a very uh, close relationship with them as an only child, especially. Uh, so you're, you're already answering my question before I ask him. So the next question, did you have any siblings growing up? <laughs> nope, just me and some dogs. <laughs> okay, now you got to stop this because the third question is, did you have a pet? <laughs> what do you like, Nostradamus here? <laughs> I guess, no, I, okay, I won't guess anything more than, but yes, I had, uh, when I was a kid, we had two and then uh, growing up through high school, I had another dog and hopefully uh, as we get settled with our newborn, uh, we will get a dog in the next year or so ourselves. Well, congratulations. Um, you said you wouldn't do this, but the next question is, do you have kids? <laughs> Darn it. I wasn't you're sure like, I was going to get you're there. You're like a freak of nature here. <laughs> yeah. So three weeks, three weeks old as of this past Sunday. So fresh out the womb. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. All right. Well, Thank I'm going to, okay, now we're going to stump you now. So what time do you go to bed at night? So it used to vary a lot. And now we're kind of a more of a set schedule as retired with a newborn. So uh, typically by 10 PM. And get up at what time? Um, get a couple hours randomly throughout the night for feedings, but otherwise, <laughs> exactly. uh, my normal time would be about seven, seven thirty. So, all right. So what would be your ideal vacation? Money, no object. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I think the Maldives has always been mm-hmm. on my, my, just because I love water, the beach, and that's a heck of a trip to get to, but I also know it's just a beautiful location. So that would be one spot that I would love to, uh, start going to or get to even work remotely from if they even have internet at that spot. Oh, uh, great. How does faith affect your work? I'm more of a spiritual person, I think, than anything. I think just putting the good karma out there uh, and just kind of, you know, thinking through those things and, and putting that energy out there, right? Like knowing like, hey, remote work, your junkie is going to succeed. Even if I'm going to run into roadblocks or things like I know I'm going to hit these goals and kind of having these affirmations out there. Uh, I think that's really come from my parents, my mom, especially, who uh, is really into that kind of stuff, too. I think that's really helped me 
figure out like even when things go wrong, there's a reason for that going wrong and looking at the positive side of it. Even if it is hard at times where I could be pretty negative, I'm, I'm like, nope, take a pause. Remember that these putting this good energy out there kind of brings you back that energy. And I've, I've seen that work well over the years. So I, I really believe in that kind of thing. So what's one thing that you would change about the current business climate today? Being for a day. There's a lot of different things. I think one comes more from the way we apply and, and hear back from jobs. I think that's just being on the remote work side and how remote jobs are done. I think it's just frustrating uh, for a lot of people who are job seeking just the way things are handled, you know, whether that's misinformation on saying it's a remote job or saying the quality of the work culture, mm -hmm. people not following up again. I understand that companies get thousands of job applications at times, but I think the frustrating part for a lot of people is just how things are handled in general. Uh, and it's kind of not even really funny, but if you look even at Reddit, there's a whole anti-work movement on a Reddit yeah. sub channel. And if you just read some of the stuff, it's, that's, mind-boggling how managers or HR are handling certain things. It's mm -hmm. it's kind of sad. Uh, I think the one of the positive things, though, is these newer generations that are coming up who are taking over leadership roles mm -hmm. uh, have been pushing back for years on that. And now that they're getting into leadership roles, they're the ones that can change that, hopefully, how things are run. There always will be challenges. I don't think that's ever going to be 100% solved. But uh, I definitely see more open to flexible work, better PTO policies, right? Sure. Kind of trusting employees to get the work done, like worrying more about the results over the hours that you're in a seat. These kinds of things are starting to pop up more and the companies who aren't adhering or figuring that out, they're the ones losing the top talent. So I'm starting to see that transition, mm -hmm. I think, which is a positive sign in my opinion of, of the way culture and, and hiring is done. So that was one thing that I would continually always hope to see change and improve, but I think that's starting to happen. It's just going to be a long road to kind of get to that next level. And that might, that might be the next, uh, next big project you take on that might be the next <laughs> elephant you eat one bite at a time. So as we close today, just uh, wrap us up with, with uh, kind of a final thought just about the marketing space as a whole, um, you know, whether it's related to marketing in general or, or marketing agencies, just whatever, whatever thought you have right now, you think we just kind of wrap this, this great conversation we've had up. Yeah, I think two things. I think working on a marketing agency, if you're looking to get into marketing, is a great idea. That's uh, where I really ramped up my skills. I worked for an agency for about two years um, when I didn't have a real full background in marketing other than what I taught myself. Uh, I knew that that was a place where I probably could ramp up really quickly, especially those agencies that are willing to teach and look for kind of a junior level person where you can absorb a lot of information. You know, taking certifications is one thing, but mm -hmm. actually building something or having hands-on experience is what really takes your skill level to that next step. And that's where I found the agency to be uh, super valuable for me. Of course, I moved on because I wanted to be just working for one SaaS product and yeah. really focus my time and energy on that. But it really built the foundation. So whether you start one or you're part of one, I think hiring people who are eager to learn, be part of that is just really good. And especially if you're looking to get into marketing, I think that's a great place to start. And other than that, I think uh, marketing is just a fun overall thing. I think the reason I, I gravitate towards it so much too is that you're always kind of learning regardless of standardization of, of different strategies. You know, everyone's using marketing automation, everyone's doing email marketing, but things have changed over the years. So how you approach email marketing five years ago is completely different now. So I'm always learning. I never get complacent with like what's happening. Otherwise you kind of get left behind because mm -hmm. things move so fast. Technologies are changing so like fast. Anything in tech, same way, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't just apply probably to marketing, but I, mm. I find that 
you're learning new channels and getting to be creative in so many different ways and figuring out what works that I'm never bored. There's always something happening. So for me, it's why I've liked this so much because it allows me again, back to that creativity, but also yeah. the data analytical side, even some psychology, psychological side, because you're mm -hmm. figuring out how people consume or adapt to information. So that's been really exciting for me. What a great way to wrap up. I had a great chat with Todd Koonsman today from Everyone Social and from Remote Work Junkie. Todd, thank you again for, for joining us on another exciting episode of the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we chat with marketing experts, providing insights to help agency owners scale and grow their marketing agencies. You can connect with the founder of Umbrella, Itamar Shafir at UmbrellaUS.com. Todd, thanks again, man. Really appreciate the time you took today. Thanks, Kevin. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode of the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we provide the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. To learn more, go to UmbrellaUS.com.